0: A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum. To steal a line-out, make a break, and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend. For one team to become champion.
1: And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide and he finds a winger! oderman He's faster than a bald man's haircut! oderman and he gets a try! What a heartbreaker!
0: Hey folks, welcome to another episode of MLR Kickoff. We have an absolute blockbuster show coming up. We will be joined by rugby legend LA Giltini champion Matt Gitto. We'll also have the professor and his breakdown coming back. What is the scrum? I'm wrong, Burgundy. What is the scrum? We'll dig into that with Pete Steinberg. As always, we'll jump into all the action from the weekend. We'll give that a quick rundown and then look at what's coming up ahead as always dan power joined by the biggest brain in the rugby universe the metaverse we don't have universe anymore pete we have a metaverse the professor how you doing buddy
1: i'm doing well dan have you spent any time in the metaverse
0: no i haven't <laughs> i actually so I, have I have a client standard.
1: yeah I'm, i have a client that i'm working with and they're talking about like doing some stuff in the metaverse And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, on Google, what is metaverse? So now I know what it is, but it's like, I feel like everyone's kids are in the metaverse, even if we're not in the
0: metaverse. Yeah, you haven't made enough money in the real verse, and now they're going to the metaverse to make more money on stuff that I don't understand. I'm just a surly old man now, Pete, but uh, rugby-wise, I tell you what, there were some great games on the weekend. There's a few few surprises early on in the season, isn't there? Well,
1: yeah. I mean, it it reminds me of, I mean, I would say the early days, but it actually reminds me of all the years of um, uh, MLR where pretty much every game was competitive. Even the games that kind of like you look at the final score, like, um, the Free Jacks 41 and Old Glory 25, that that was a close game. And the Free Jacks had to have a couple of pretty special moments from Wacker to be able to pull that away. So all of these games were competitive. They were down to the end. There were, like, close referee calls. There were breaks. There were heartbreaks. Man, it was an exciting weekend of rugby. Yeah, heartbreaks in Dallas as
0: they almost christened that new stadium. Oh, my game? gosh,
1: two weeks in a row. Oof, that one was
0: – uh It was great to watch as a fan, unless you're a Jackals fan. Then it was probably very difficult to watch. But who's been the surprise packet for you uh, after the first three weeks?
1: Well, I mean, I actually – so I would say um, the last two weeks, it has to be Dallas. I mean, Dallas has been, like, not only competitive, but in winning positions going into the end of the game. And after that first week, didn't we all feel like, oh, this is going to be, like, a really long season of blowouts? And so I think their performances have to be the biggest surprise so far. What about you, Dan? What's the biggest surprise So I'm not
0: going to go with an 0-3 team. I'm actually going to go with one that's 3-0 and <laughs> in Seattle singles. They've actually looked really, really good. I've got to give credit to the roster up there, uh, Alan Clark, Pate, uh, Tuli Vuka, the, the GM up there, good old Pate. And, and you know, I, I was a little unsure it's probably the way – because on paper there's some great players up there and you, you always thought they were going to be competitive. But to come out 3-0, and I've been really impressed with Seattle.
1: No, and I actually think – I think the um, – you know, I'm not sure if we're ready to go there, Dan, but I actually think the San Diego-Seattle game um, was probably the best game of the weekend, not just because it was close and it came down to the end, but because it was a back-and-forth game of high quality. I actually thought that was a really, really high quality game. I mean, there were lots of really exciting games. I mean, the Atlanta New York game was kind of nuts, right? Um, with uh, New York pulling pulling that one out. Um, so I think, I, yeah, I mean, I mean, I I can completely understand Seattle, but I am one hundred percent on board with the SeaWolves. Um, although their defense, interestingly enough, was not very strong this. This, yeah, well, um, this I was gonna week. say, what was
0: your most interesting match of the week? But I think you just gave it to us there. San Diego, Seattle, uh a bit of a now biter down to the end there. Poor old San Diego, they're banged up, aren't they? They've got the injury bug early on. They well, lost a bunch of yeah. players. So uh, yeah,
1: and, and, and they had that problem last year, right? They yeah. they lost players early. So um they've got some they've got some real real problems. Ryan, you know, Ryan Maddie got hurt in that game. Um, But I thought what was really interesting about uh, the uh, Seattle-San Diego game was actually how um, San Diego attacked the seawall. That that was really interesting to me because what they did is early on, like that first Joe Peterson try is exactly what you do against a pressure defense, right? The little chip over the top, he regathered it, he scored. That slows down that defensive line of Seattle, and that's what gave San Diego the space to play. Um, but a couple of really outstanding individual um, performances by Seattle. Ricard Hatting had an amazing game. Um, LePeddy had an amazing game. I mean, it, it, was, it was really, really phenomenal. But, you know, the San Diego stayed in there even though they're beaten up. I mean, I think that San Diego team, we said this last year, right? If they could get healthy, they can play with anyone. They're still playing with people and they're not healthy, but, you know, they had a couple of guys on the bench that I think, you know, Get called up from the local club game; they're quality players, but they're not professionals. You can't survive oh, that like gap that. That gap is only going to get
0: wider and wider, isn't it? The, the club rugby to the MLR gap. We saw in year one there was kind of a fluid transition. Players coming up and down. Some people actually doing quite well at MLR, but I feel as the years have ticked on, uh, playing D1 or, or worse men's club rugby is just no longer sufficient yeah. to handle MLR.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's right. So, so a couple of things I thought I thought was really interesting. So neither team had um, great, uh, you know, um, great tackle percentages. And Seattle in particular were at 73%. And they only had one dominant tackle. and That was Ross Neal. That was the only dominant tackle that they had. And so San Diego, in their forwards, were really able to generate go forward. They were able to play smart. When you've got really good decision-makers like Joe Peterson and Mar Nonu, you can find space in the uh, um, in in the defense to be able to play. And I think that's really what they did. But, like, the decision-making, Dan, at the end of that game, like, it had me pulling my hair out. You know, there's, like, there's three minutes to go, and, um, you know, Seattle <laughs> – Seattle up by three points and um, JP Smith kicks it away, right? Just give it to the forwards, hold it on for three minutes. There's um, a breakdown. I think there's a turnover. There's a penalty. I think not, uh, Ma, you know, Manonu, um, you know, gets the penalty. They, they kick it down. They've got a line out inside the 22 and they throw it over the top to Manonu, like on the last play of the game, who isn't able to catch it. It's a knock on. And I'm just like, you know, In if we know if we know anything in Major League Rugby over the last couple of years, it's like the easiest way to score is to catch the ball, drive it in and get over the line. And they try. I think they were just a little bit too excited. I mean, to be fair, fair dues, they turned down the, the penalty to tie it up. They could have tied it up. Right. But they turned that down. And they go on, um, and they go go for the try, but man, decision making in the last couple of minutes—that's what makes coaches guys great.
2: Guys in that game that were sort of outside squad players in season one that have stuck around and been squad players for a very long time for San Diego, but like Stalwarts for for On Back, Chris Terori um, yep. from season one. Has basically been thrust into sort of a starting blindside flanker role, and then Derek Broussard is back, and he's been on the bench the past couple of weeks. So, I mean, some of these guys are still getting opportunities, which is honestly, it's really good that, like, hey, they're at this. They've continued to develop themselves, but that they're able to fill this role still.
0: Yeah, Did you said to Rory. Yeah. Yep. Oh, reminds me of a great song. When a big number six scores a try under the sticks, that's to Rory. Sing it, Pete. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Well, you know, Chris had, uh, I think he had uh, 11 tackles. So very, very active around the, the field. But Matt Moulds had 19 tackles. Sorry, 19 tackle attempts. had three misses um, from the hooker. And that's someone that stepped in, again, for... Um, Malcolm, who was injured, I thought he did really well. And I'm really enjoying Ben Mitchell. You know, he had the most ball carries except for Tamalau at number eight in that pack. And he's such a good ball carry. And of course, that's, I mean, what seems to be a bit of a controversial opportunity when he got the ball over the line, but lost the ball. And there was some discussion about whether it should have been a try or not. But, you know, there are these little law pieces where downward pressure is not sufficient if you're carrying the ball and you get over the line down downward pressure is sufficient if you're diving on a loose ball and he definitely lost that ball on the way down so i think um uh jp doyle perfect positioning didn't need to go to the tmo because he saw exactly what happened and you know that's how good that game was it's just that little bit right there is what determined that that you know that seattle won that game thought it was a really entertaining game, but there were so many entertaining games, then. so many entertaining games back and forth. You know, here's a, here's a question for you. So we've said, what's your biggest surprise? What is your biggest disappointment so far? Probably Nola. After week three?
0: Unfortunately, and 3 Playing at home, haven't looked that good. Um, but. Yeah. Really, they've been, they've been close. Well, I
1: mean, I think like, like, I mean, you know, they're not that bad, right? It was another, it was a really close yeah. game. I thought, um, you know, Sam Malcolm coming back at fly half for Toronto just makes such a huge difference for them. Um, but no, you know, they're going to find themselves. And, you know, remember what they did last year? They like they were very inconsistent at the start and they had to go on a run and they they, they pretty much went on that run. I can see that. For, for me, and this is going to be really harsh because I don't think they've played poorly. But I think Utah starting 0-3 has 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 been a disappointment in terms of their results. The West is absolutely stacked, right? So you look at all of Utah's losses, and you're like, "Well, they've lost all against good teams, right?" Like they they've all lost good teams, but that's all you have in the West, and it also means that there's it's a harder pathway for an O and three team in the West to get back than it is in the East, I think. And so it's gonna be it's gonna be- Tough for UDA to find their way back. They, I think they need um, a solution at ten. I think they're they're. They're struggling there, so it'll be interesting to see what they do and if they make any changes going into the next so week.
0: I love the professor. Ask me a question, lets me say four words, and then speaks for ten minutes answering his own question. Great stuff, <laughs> great stuff as always. Well. Hey, hey, like I'm, 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 I'm helping
1: your dollar per word ratio go
0: up. <laughs> dollar per word ratio. Uh, I go love go it. All right, you know who else I love? I love Australian rugby legends, and there are none bigger than the man we have joining us right now. Uh, his name was, uh, it was probably one of the biggest signings we had in MLR for last year. He joined his longtime teammate Adam Ashley Cooper in Los Angeles, delivered a championship to the city of Los Angeles, and I thought that was it. I thought he was going to hang it up, but he's come back for one more run. Excited to have him on the show, Wallaby legend, and now Guiltini's legend, Gitto. All right, joining us now is LA Giltini's fly half and uh, returning champion, Matt Gitz. Appreciate you taking time and joining the show. Firstly, how was the off season? Uh, you got to spend some time back home, but back in LA
3: now, what what did you and the family get up to during the break? We uh, we had a two week hotel quarantine on the way back. Uh, the kids then, they went into school, um, yeah, COVID was pretty tight back in Australia. I think it was just a little bit behind America. So we um, we stayed pretty local, just enjoyed getting back into the normality for them, you know, normality of things for them like schooling, um, you know, normal dinners and all that type of stuff, just falling back into, you know, normal life.
0: Now, you've, you've got a law named after you in rugby. Were you able to pull a couple of strings to get a better hotel on the way back in or was it whatever whatever they gave you?
3: No one answered. I asked about it more. It didn't really help. No, it was, I mean, it was, I suppose when we signed to come over, we knew that was going to be there. So that was something we're prepared for. Um, And I mean, the six months that I spent in LA, I would do another two weeks uh, easily. You know, For the experience. Times have got.
0: changed, kids. Quade can't get a citizenship. You can't get a good hotel. Do they forget what you guys did for you know the green and gold? Just terrible, <laughs> terrible stuff.
3: Well, actually, I think Quade uh, Quade's a citizen
0: now. Yeah, so yeah he did. He's fine. He did. I think he made his comeback, kicked the game winner, and they're like, okay, you can you can join now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're worthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about the experience of going to LA for the first time. Obviously. Most people who watch this show are going to know who you are. Uh, There's a story of Matt Gitto, you know, Brumbies, Wallabies, Talon. What was it about LA that attracted you and got you to come over and, and, and enjoy these last few years of your career in Los Angeles?
3: Well, initially, I think the the relationship I have with the GM, Adam Fryer, Stephen Hawes was also um, – he was the forwards coach last year. He's now the head coach this year. Uh, Adam Ashley Cooper was – Uh, you know, a guy that I played with for so long, he obviously uh, had already agreed to to go to Austin. uh, COVID hit. Uh, The owner, Adam Gilchrist, bought another team based out of Los Angeles, and he um, he first proposed me with the idea. And then I knew these other guys that were on the coaching staff, Darren Coleman also, as I said, uh, the GM being Adam Fryer. And it just, the more I spoke to him, the more enticing it became to live in L.A., um, like an unbelievable city, but also to start a new franchise and build the foundations for hopefully, you know, a successful franchise.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you this. When you get here, when you sign the contract and you get to LA, you've grown up in an established rugby playing country. You've played at, you know, storied clubs all around the world. Was it a little daunting coming into something that was just brand new? And you're like, geez, I'm I'm actually laying the foundations
3: what this club is going to be like no not daunting that, that, that was the exciting part i think to um hopefully set up and live by a set of core values and rules that as a club when new guys come in they feel what we're about they know what we're about um, as a club so that side of things was exciting um and also seeing the way the club grew when we first got here we didn't have a gym uh so each week you'd see a squat rack put in or um, you know another bike put in or just slowly see the club starting to build and come together um, at the same time that we were playing in a competition was it was just something totally new, refreshing and being in LA, I was under no real illusions that we were going to make a big footprint in this city. For us it was just to come in, be successful, hopefully set up the club for many more years to come.
0: Yeah, Jimmy Kimmel still didn't give you guys uh, credit for winning the championship. Gave everyone else credit, but uh, we'll get there with Jimmy Kimmel eventually. Hey, when did when did you know you guys were onto something special? Like camp in Maui, you get back. Obviously, you come out of the gates last year like a house on fire, best team uh, in, in, in the comp by far. But internally, when did you guys have a good feel that, hey, we're going to have a really good run at the championship here?
3: Oh, I think... Early on, uh, you don't know exactly how you stack up to other teams, um, especially a new competition for me. So it was just from training. Um, I think the camaraderie that we developed quite early. We were lucky to have that opportunity in Maui to get to know each other um, and see what everyone's about, their reasons for for why they're here, who they play for. You know, those type of um, things are quite important. I think not just from a rugby sense, but also getting to know their families and and all that. So. It took time, but I think just as the season unraveled, you know, there were there were times when we uh, came off the back of a bad loss, and we had to re-find ourselves, find what we we're about, find different ways to play play the game. But yeah, I, I think for us, the final um, was a bit of a dream game for us and a dream result. You know, we, I think we played our best game as a side in the final, and that's what you need to do.
0: Yeah, for you you personally, obviously you said you know uh, knew Adam Fryer and Hoylsey and DC and those guys. What were some of the things that w- were their expectations for you coming into the season? And then internally, what were some of your personal expectations that you wanted to achieve yourself coming into last year?
3: Um, individually, just to add to the team. I think when you're an older player, uh, there's always those questions whether you're dropping in form and, um, yeah, I don't know. I think just for me... I'm always trying to prove myself, prove to the team that I'm here for the right reasons, uh, not for any individual accolades, but for us as a team to get better. See young kids develop, um, any local talent, uh, then can go play for the Eagles. You know, for me, that they're the driving factors that that I work hard for and and that I, I strive for. And I think the biggest conversation that I had with Darren Coleman, because the last time he was involved with me was well back at the Brumbies where. I didn't really want to give anyone opportunities. Anytime I was there to play, I was there to play and um, not so much trying to develop other players, but trying to develop myself and get better. So I had more of a selfish outlook on how I prepared. Um, So his first question to me was, you know, how often do you want to play? Um, How do you feel about resting games, letting other guys through, developing them? And I said, that's what I'm all for. You know, for me – If I don't play any games if I just close out games the last 10-15 minutes I'm happy as long as as a club we're successful uh and we achieve the goals that we're after and I think that put his mind at ease and then from there um you know everything was fine
0: yeah you you talk about that time back at the Brumbies way back when I'm sure you've seen it a few times that photo of you and Harrison Goddard He, he looks like he's about 12 and you're at the Brumbies at the height of your career playing super rugby for Australia how how many surreal moments like that are you just enjoying now at the back end of the career? Like seeing that photo and then getting to line up with with a guy like Harrison Goddard, who's pretty early on in his career and still finding his way in the world of professional rugby.
3: Yeah, I think there's certain guys that I'd met throughout the the year that they said, "Oh, it was an honor to play against you." You know, obviously watched you when I was back at school or I was ten. Those <laughs> things aren't so flattering, so those ones you you can easily let go, but I remember Godsey uh, Harrison before the first game. He was like, oh, have a look at this, Brett. Look at this photo. And it was a photo, that photo that everyone's seen, where it was me uh, after a Brumbies game, and I took a photo with Godsey. And it was just before we were about to play that first game. And it helped me so much just relax and enjoy the moment and play as hard as I can to get him a win because I knew after the game it would be so cool to get another photo where we actually played together um, yeah, and yeah, that's that's obviously what happened. But yeah, that was really special.
0: I know, I know. It's probably like a mixed thing at the the end of the career. But I did enjoy how quick the opposition were to find you and swoop and get photos after the game. They're like, I'm never going to get this opportunity again. Yeah, I played yeah. against a legend. Everyone wrapping arms. I'm kind of like, that's uh, they, they've gone into the game I was thinking I got to get my camera and I got to find Matt Gitto and Adam Ashley Cooper is on full time. So yeah, I get and the then photo. Let, them,
3: let them know how old they are. Yeah, awesome. we're trying to be polite, so –
0: how many selfies did you have racked up in the last year? Probably more than you've had in your career with opposition players.
3: Um, yeah, but it's. I think that's part of why you're here, and I think for me, it uh, it is quite special that you know, you're held in uh, some type of regard you know, from opposition players. Um, so that, those types of things are are quite special. Yeah. Well, right, Let's let's go retrospectively quickly over the career here. Everyone always
0: likes to ask, you know, the, the, the toughest opponent, toughest team, all that sort of stuff. But, mate, who, who was the scariest? That's what I always wanted. I was there, and everyone says when they're playing, they're like, you know, everyone's man, everyone bleeds, I can, I can deal with it. But there's always <laughs> got to be a player where you saw them in the roster and you're like, oh, God, not that guy.
3: When I first came in, I was um, lucky to be 80 kilos. I mean, I'm not big now, I'm about 86 kilos. But that six kilos, is um, it took me... 20 years to build up. So when I first came in, I hadn't done a, a great deal of weights. And you're playing against big centers that were 110, 115. Tana Umanga. I remember the 2004 was the first time I started against the All Blacks. Um, and he was performing the Haka and he was just standing there and obviously he was leading it as well. But when he was looking, he had this ability that made you feel like he was just talking to you. Um, and I was almost like, well, what did I do wrong? Um, but I remember that moment um, in particular, and that was, that was a long time ago, but I still remember that one actually being not so much fearful, but just like I didn't want to make eye contact with him in case I got him angry. But then once the game kicks off, you just you fall into your natural habits and try and tackle and play as hard as you can. But, yeah, I remember that moment in particular.
0: All right. Who was, who was the biggest Jekyll and Hyde? Best guy off the field, but an absolute pest on the field.
3: Oh. Gee, there's lots of them. Um, I think Skulk Berger was – he's an unreal guy off the, off the field. First one I have a beer with, but once you're on the field, he's played for the Springboks. He was just a beast. And I think because he was a back rower, he would always intentionally put a lot of pressure on your, your fly halves, your number 10. So, yep. uh, yeah, he was definitely one guy that I got along with amazing off the field, but on the field, he's, he was just a different person.
0: All right. Favourite non-Australian teammate you played with
3: throughout your career? Oh, wow. Uh, I think more interesting, not favorite, because I've got so many um, guys that I've got a lot of respect for and I get along with, but the most interesting to talk to and get into his brain, Johnny Wilkinson. Yeah. You know, before a game, I could sit down with him at dinner, just ask him little things about how hard he would train, why he would do certain things, and I just found it fascinating the way he operated in the way he thought, but then uh, he could perform uh, at the level he could. It was uh, yeah, He was fascinating and a great fella too.
0: I'm surprised he's not more involved in the coaching side of the sport with just how sharp. Like I've heard stories, actually some of them from like your time in Toulon where you're like his preparation was just ridiculous. Like the guy was just men- uh, immaculate, uh, meticulous almost how he would dissect things and to the point of like learning fluent French. Um, just so he could function in that Toulon environment. So I'm always interested to see that he's kind of not a bigger figure in rugby, especially in England. I know he's still involved, but not at the level that you would think a guy like that would be involved.
3: Yeah, I think um, there's so much more to coaching, though, than knowing um, opposition or, or being able to implement skills. There's, there's so much work that goes in behind the scenes, cutting clips, um, getting set for meetings all those small things which take time, maybe he doesn't have the interest for. I know I don't. So I love rugby and I would love to stay involved, but I just don't think from watching the way Adam Ashley Cooper and Stephen Halls prepare now and the amount of time it takes to get ready for little meetings, PowerPoints and all that, it's just, I don't know. I just don't think it's something that appeals to me. So Johnny potentially could be the same.
0: Same way, yeah. All right, your top three Giltini's teammates that you'd never met before the season last year. There were three guys. Johnny Ryberg. Oh, Johnny Ryberg. What a character.
3: Oh, what's he called? The eyeballs with muscles or something. The the um, quadriceps
0: with eyeballs. Yeah,
3: there's the (laughs) He, um, yeah, Johnny is just a good man, good value, funny. His accent, uh, his little Texan accent, I just enjoy that. Um, Christian Rodriguez. Uh, He's also, like, good value. He was a guy that when I first went to Maui um, went out of his way to make me feel welcome. We would lift, um, you know, do weights together. And and small things like that make a big difference when you want to have an impact on a group or fit in. Um, So he was uh, really – he was great. And you've got, like, I'd like to call them the buzz crew, but you'd say Luke Burton, Angus Cottrell, and Billy Meeks. I'd never really – I knew who they were but never met them. Uh, until we signed at the Guilty, and I got a really good friendship with all of
0: them. Yeah, Meek Meeks is just on another level. Mate. The social yeah. media, everything—it's just Billy. That's Billy does Billy things. That's all we it, say. It, it is crazy. I've never seen someone so comfortable in their skin at such a young age. He just—it's <laughs> great. He's is Billy Meeks, and he loves the fact that he's Billy Meeks in a good way. In a good way. Yeah,
3: absolutely.
0: All right, mate. Uh, is this it? I know you said you live in the moment, but uh, yeah, is um, is this it? You think.
3: Well, yeah, I I mean I said this last year so I don't want to keep saying because anyone everyone says, well, you did say that last year. <laughs> um, yeah, I think for me this last break, you are talking about what we did in that break and a lot of the training by myself, getting prepared, um, the weights, the fitness, all that type of stuff, it's becoming harder and harder to push yourself and get motivated individually. So uh, as soon as I get into the team environment, I'm great, but uh, usually I've been fine training by myself whereas this last – Off season, uh, I struggled a little bit more. So whether that's um, telling me that time's up, then potentially it is. Uh, But as I say, I like to live in the moment and just like to enjoy everything that's happening, uh, not just from a rugby sense uh, point of view, but also with the family. But at the moment, I still really enjoy competing with the boys, lifting uh, the camaraderie, the jokes um, and living in L.A. So um, I don't know if I really answered that.
0: No, you, you actually answered it perfectly because you just never know. You, you didn't close the door. You just left it a little crack. But uh, good good luck getting a, an outfit better than last year too. You and Swoop in the Sluggos coming in on the little scooters. So you've got – at least you've got that to kind of work on and build on this year as well. Yeah, exactly. It better.
3: It's always good to have goals. The Gilly Girl
0: outfits, the Sluggos. I mean, yeah, I loved it. I loved all of it. Mate, absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure having you on the show. It's been great to watch you last year, and it'll be great to watch you go around this year as well. Uh, your impact over here can't be understated, and I think I've said it a few times. First, first round Hall of Fame. They love that term over in the US. So you'll be uh, in that in that uh, arena yourself here shortly when you when you do end up calling it a day. Good luck Cheers. for the season, and uh, good luck with the kids in school. Yeah, that's the big one. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Yes. There you go, Pete. And uh, again, like crazy, crazy. He's still getting it done at such a high level. Um, just an amazing human being first and foremost, rugby aside, but then on the rugby field, off the rugby field, everything he's doing, the the experience he brings to LA and the league as well has just been unreal.
1: Well, what, what I love about um, the Matt Guido story is it's all my choice, right? He's not here because he has to keep playing rugby. He's here because he wants to play rugby. He wants to be part of this, like, like helping grow the game in the States. And uh, I mean, he's just such a wonderful player. Like, you know, in every sport, you have those players that seem to have time and he seems to have time. Um, and LA need him. Like, you know, with Cardi out, we've seen Burton play. Doesn't quite um, do it for them. Hopefully after the bye week, uh, you know, they'll be able to come out um, that, you know, I said before the West is going to be stacked and uh, LA is not going to run away with it this year, but Matt Guido is going to be an important part of this. Yeah.
0: Important part of the team also is uh, their set piece. They were one of the best at the set piece. Their line out was a strength last year, especially early in the year, the scrum. Well, the man tightening the screws there is Alex Corbisario, the you know Lions legend, English legend, who's now calls the USA at home. But Pete, for a novice like me, we joked last week about my time on the side of the scrum. What what is a scrum?
1: <laughs> so you know we, we, we've talked a little bit about the um, idea of a um, accidental infringement leads to a scrum, and so there's a couple of things to help people understand what's going on, so you can see what happens. So in a scrum, the ball gets put in by one side. They put it and it gets hooked back by the hooker, right? So that's the name of the hooker and the hooker. No channels giggling, it back folks. No j-
0: giggling. It's a real thing.
1: <laughs> it is a real thing. And so, the the trick is, right? Is the hooker because of the way the scrum binds? Is the hooker on the side that they're putting in can get their foot on it first? So that hooker's always going to strike. Okay, so that's the strike. That's where they kick. They kick back with their foot. Um, And so there's a couple of things that you want to look at um, in the scrum. First of all, whoever wins the hit, right? So um, when the referee says set, that allows the front rows to come together. So that's the prop um, and the hooker and the prop. And so when the referee says set, you want to see who wins that hit because whoever wins that hit probably has an advantage in the scrum. Lots of like physics, I'm sure, you know, you know, stats boy would want to dive in here, but there's lots of physics and angles and levers. But basically, if you win the hit, you're in a better one position. One of the things
2: that annoys me,
1: okay? So, one the thing, thing is that you annoys want to me
2: the, about the usage <laughs> one, of the term scrum outside of our sport is that as you, you're explaining this, it's a system, right? It, it's a, it's system. a system, it's not a brawl or anything, a melee, it's, yeah, but it's not a melee. I, I, I think
1: there's a
0: little bit lost in translation because you can have a media scrum, which is just a mass of people converging into one area. So everyone gets upset when they watch Sunday night football and Collinsworth goes, well, God, like the God, God, and this is a terrible, this is not Chris Collinsworth's voice. So this is, Collinsworth, this is a random on scrum. American accent. Yeah. So the,
2: the weird, the, I mean, we could get into the physics, but like one of this weird rule that they're talking about that they're implementing in the six nations is forcing hookers to implement a brake foot so that it limits axial loading. But everything I've seen has still shown that axial loading is continuing. So,
1: so, so Dan, this is like one of these things where I thought we wanted to make this more accessible. <laughs> and um, there are actually papers written on um, the stuff that Stats Boy is talking about. So there's a lot of levers and angles and pushes, but there's three things I think if you're not sure what's going on, right, there are three things you want to look for for the scrum, and there are the three things that the referee looks for. Yeah. The first one is the hit. The referee doesn't want anyone to go early when he says set, right, just like Dan, perfect Dan, like almost like you want The number six, as we heard last, last week. You want to make sure that the hit is fair and that both teams mm-hmm. come together. The second thing that the um, referee is looking for is he's looking for what's called the bind, and the bind. Let's see if Dan can do this. Is the props that it's how they hold each other and how they grump, grab hold of each other. So the props come together and they reach out towards and they get their arms ready to bind. Okay, and what the referee is looking for is elbows up. He doesn't want to see anyone pulling it down. All right, so you can't you can't pull it down. So you want to see the elbows up. That's the second thing to look for, and then the third thing to look for. Is are people driving straight? So what you can't do is you can't drive on an angle. Thanks, Dan, for your knowledge. Right. And so often when you see the scrum turn, which is called wheeling, right? You'll often see a penalty that comes out of that. And what the referee is looking for is the referee is looking for who is not driving straight. So three things to look for in the scrum: the hit, okay, the bind. OK, and then are they are they square? We'll say are they driving square? Are they driving straight? And if you look for those three things, at the very least, you're looking at the same thing that the referee is looking at. And so all of those things, if they if they have a fair hit, if the um, binds are good and they stay square, what should happen is the team that puts the ball in should win it. Right. It's only when some other stuff that's going on, especially at this level, that someone else would win it. But hopefully that gives people some things to look for as they go, um, as they look at the scrum.
0: Best scrum in major league rugby. Who is it as of today?
1: So I think it depends a little bit on the personnel. So I would say maybe right now it's Atlanta if they have their starting front row. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that Atlanta probably has the best scrum with their starting front row. Um, and as, and as Statsboy said, I'm making it pretty simple. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens with the second rows that bind onto the prop that make sure they're doing really well. There's a whole bunch of different systems that people can do to make sure that those binds are strong and they're transferring their push through the props. Um, and so I think Atlanta probably have some of the better scrummaging second rows. They've got some good size behind there. and And like, as I said, there's physics, so Size actually matters.
0: Statistically, stats, boy, who's got the best scrum? Can you, can you look that up real quick? I'll fill. Uh, I'll fill for you.
1: I got a feeling I got yeah, a You're going to fill about Glenda. the scrum? You're going to fill about the scrum? Yeah, please. Fill, fill about the scrum. So I'm
0: playing you, you, No, I'm not doing a story no, So you're
1: a tall guy, right? So you're like, how tall are you? 6'4"?
0: Yeah, and that's crazy because whenever people ask, you know, what position did you play? And I say, oh, I played in the back. They're so just like, no, because I'm... I, I always guy. thought it's,
2: Dan was a second row for like ages because he's just, because so, I so never, I never saw Dan play for the record. I never saw Dan play. So I was like, there's probably some him. old chess videos of him playing.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but this is actually, so one of one of the interesting things about the scrum is the scrum is what really leads to this concept that rugby is all shapes and sizes, right? So you can be six foot five, right? and 230 pounds and you can be, you know, 5'10 and 260 pounds. You can have a very different body shape, but because of the scrum, you need those two different and two different body shapes, right? And so the scrum and having the scrum remain an important part of the game and remain competitive while still being safe Right is really important for the game to be for all shape shapes and sizes and and so the scrum's really important in continuing um, in rugby continuing to be a place for, um, for all so, shapes. So so
2: statistically, sizes. It, you're not going to see um, really who's the most dominant because winning a scrum just means getting the ball out, right? Mm-hmm. So, but statistically, I can definitely tell you who is not good, um, and that is. Dallas, who has conceded fifteen scrum penalties, and I mean, the first two weeks of Seattle's scrums were very bad. Yeah, they, they had the, no one in their scrum. That was they, the, they the, are the they are the second worst. Well, yeah, scrum. I mean, the like, yeah, they went
1: uncontested. Like as end. of
2: right now, as of right now, statistically, they are the second worst scrummaging team in the league with twelve penalties conceded, and then. I want to say it's uh new york and san diego are tied at seven scrum penalties conceded for for 3rd worst scrums in the league so oh, um, so
1: just for just for um the people that are following along those scrum pre- penalties are probably either engaging too early not staying square or taking it down; those are the, those are mm-hmm. most often the the scrum penalties, and that's why that's what the referee looks for. And so, Stats Boy is making a good point here that you don't normally win the opposition scrum, but you'll give away a penalty before they win it, and that's kind of why penalties are, are important.
0: Cool. All right, let's take a look at this weekend. Probably about we as much as we
1: want to get. Yeah, probably yeah. about as much as we want to have on the scrums down. Yeah, I think we got iceberg. We got the tip.
0: If you want to Titanic it. By all means, get on YouTube and go as deep as you want. All right. Let's see. Kicking off 26th of February at 4 p.m. No Friday night games this weekend, which uh, hurts my heart. But hopefully some more coming up. This one Saturday at 4, Toronto on the road against D.C., D.C. 0-3, Toronto coming off a win down there in New Orleans. This one on the Rugby Network, Pete. And then, so TSN up in Canada. Um, Who's I'm got calling Pete?
1: this game this weekend, Dan, so I'm I'm, I'm going to let it Ooh, go. America. But DC showed us some things in that New York game that we hadn't seen. A young team. Um, it, it, it's it's it, This should be a really, really interesting game. And, uh, New England know, game. Um, sorry? New England game. Sorry, New, New England. Time. That's what i Sorry, New England game. Thank you. Uh, one of those East Coast teams, uh, um, so it it should be it it should be an an, an interesting game. Toronto um, pulling out that close one against Nola, so I'm looking forward to calling it.
0: Oh yeah, I feel like DC you know, obviously they're due for a win. They're 0 three, but Toronto took a lot out of that win on the road on the road again because it's Toronto. They'll play the first half of the season on the road. I'll go the arrows. I just think they've got a little bit more in the tank, a little bit more firepower. They've, I like their pack. Cole Bailey had one of his best games in MLR, definitely his best game for the Arrows on the weekend. And then Sammy Malcolm, mate, just that kid, just makes such a difference to that side. Uh, Keep the scoreboard ticking over, and he's a great leader. Moves them around the park a lot better uh, when he's out there in that 10 jersey. So I'll go Toronto. Moving on, Saturday night, it is Austin at Seattle. This one could be the game of the round. It's on the Rugby Network. 8 p.m. Eastern time. Are you calling this one too?
1: I'm not. I'm, I, I have the uh, um FS2 game later that night.
0: So our San Diego Houston. Okay, I'll yeah. remember that to leave you out of that one. All right, then tell me. Austin, Seattle. This is in the this West.
1: Is, yeah, this is really interesting. This could determine a playoff spot. Right? These are two teams that are gonna be in there. Um it's gonna be a great test for Austin. And then um, high-powered attack, not as good against Utah this past weekend, going up against Seattle. I'm going to give Seattle the edge, but only just, and only because they're at home. Um, them being 3-0, and I think there might be some atmosphere at Starfire. So I think Seattle get the edge, but only just.
0: Now I'll give you the inside scoop. I'm actually going to Austin this week. Uh, can't tell you what I'm going to be doing. It's a top secret, but let me tell you. The Gilgronies will come out firing after my visit to Austin this week.
1: Oh, oh, if you're going to Austin, then, sorry, Seattle, blow them out. Sorry,
0: with that Austin, information. Austin by 70. You watch yeah. this. It's going to be me, Marco Keith, and Julian Dominguez. We, we've got a 45-minute session at the Tanning Salon, and then I'm just taking the boys on a walk along the riverfront and just going to download every little bit of information I've ever had from my career. It's like... Boom! will pump it into them. You watch. It's going to be a great performance on the weekend. Austin by plenty. All right, moving on, kicking off at the same time, New York at Dallas. This could be a uh, this could be a little trip-up game here for the undefeated New York going into 0-3 Dallas. But as we saw in the last two weeks, Pete, they are not an 0-3 team. I said that they'll go winless this year. I'm pulling that statement back. I was wrong, Dallas fans. You will win games this year. I, I am sure of that the effort that you've shown in the last two weeks continues, you will get wins this
1: year. But
0: uh, who are you going in this
1: one? So I'm going to go with New York. I think Dallas will make it competitive. I think the challenge that Dallas has, which is not unusual for a, an expansion franchise, is depth, right? We're seeing that mm. they're not able to close out the games. And if you can't close out the games, it's because your bench isn't as strong. It would be exactly what you would expect for the expansion franchise not to have that depth. And I think that's going So they're going to keep it close, But I think... New York will pull it out because their bench will be stronger. I mean, look, like they're pulling All Blacks off the bench for New York, right? So, you know that they're going to come in, and that last yeah. twenty minutes is going to be strong. Yeah, Jesus, a luxury, isn't it, Andy Ellis? That that last twenty, yeah, just like just like an All Black great on the bench, if you need yeah. him, right? The last
0: twenty in Major League Rugby just gets quite hectic. It's, I, I was watching my um, my son play basketball on the weekend, and he's thirteen and they're up by six points, and the other team starts playing frantic to try to catch them, instead of calming it down, they just feed off that enthusiasm and start playing crazy as well. And then you've got two teams just going mental for two minutes. And sometimes I feel like MLR gets a little bit that way, where the team in the lead, instead of just calming things down, seems to just feed into the intensity and go nuts as well, where Andy Ellis, seen it all, done it all, steps on the field and be like, take a breath, we're going to relax Kicking the corners, good kick chase, let's take, make our tackles and close this out. So I think New York will do that and just turn the screws in the last 20 on Dallas. All right, 9 p.m. Saturday night. It's in Houston. We're down at Aviva Stadium. Pete Steinberg on FS2, the big dog on the national game. Um, man, San Diego, they're 2-1, and one, so they're not in trouble here if they lose this game. They have the same record as Houston both teams at two and one. We mentioned Seattle Austin could determine a playoff both these sides as well with this game. one will go to three and one and, and continue to push forward the other drops to 500 and you know you're not out of it by any stretch but boy it makes it uh, interesting because these win losses, this could come down to tiebreakers at the end of the Western conference.
1: Yeah. I think the West is going to do that. And I think this is a great game. I love to see this. It's a test for Houston. It's a test for San Diego. Some of this really is like, who can see Ando- San Diego put on the field this week? Right. Yeah. Like, yes. like
0: it's going to be about. Who's and can play. I agree. I won't be, I won't be uh, logging in my picks on super brew, which went six out of six on the weekend. Uh, suck that scary. Larry, yeah who's yes. who's number one on super
1: brew who's, i don't who's know who's number one Dan? um not me i'm fourth hang on i'll pull it up oh. now and check i can't I, I can never for some reason i'm so super brew naive that i can never even you, find the you listing. plummeted pete like you like you i I dan i have to tell you i i pick on like tuesday because if I don't pick on Tuesday, I'm so busy I forget. So I don't look at it. I just pick, and then I can't remember who I. Pick. I don't
2: even like. Ag- I know
1: I'm... is uh,
0: number one. It's Travis Norman. He's a Saber Cats yeah. fan. He looks very dashing in his
1: photo. Got the tux. There's, there's and still it. a chance. People I... to sign up on Superbrew and find the MLR I, kickoff.
2: I, I did. Yeah. So my win percentage this week went up, but I still went way down. Like so, that means everyone. Well, else I, think, I think there's a lot of people
1: like Dan, like just like Dan, who got really, really lucky without any knowledge of the game and was able to go six and zero through guesswork.
0: That's what I. That's, that's what and I. Luck, I think. luck gets you three and six. Skill and just a, a deep understanding. I should <laughs> I said, take over the professor's breakdown. Surely said, we have a subject I can break down. I said, should I said,
2: Owen three on uh, on um, on our Twitter. Or not our Twitter. On our on our text thread, and uh, I was talking about something else, and Dan was trying to rub it in my face. <laughs> oh, I, t- I
0: thought you went zero and three. I'm like, dude, I'm, th- I'm three and three. I'm loving life at the moment. <laughs> but
1: uh, yeah. Right, so I, who do you who Houston. do you have in the San Diego Houston game?
0: Mate, again, I would love to see a roster, and this pick will probably change once I see the roster. I'll go Houston just the fact that they're at home. Um, I would imagine that they did not breathe into that win they'd probably be pretty disappointed with their performance against Dallas right. with the exception of that last 15 20 minutes so I think um meyer and pottter human would have given them a, a pretty tough week at training so they focus
1: on this those game. are the best things the best things that are poor is to play poorly and win because you can learn all the lessons but you don't have any of the costs. Yeah. so yeah I agree 100%. with you i think I think that's a experienced coaching staff that will that will make that I know fun.
0: you're just chomping to talk in, you can't because you're calling this game, so we'll move on. New England at LA, standalone game on Sunday at 6pm Eastern. This one on the Rugby Network. Who's you got here? This one, like we're going to get into our most interesting match of week four. This is actually going to be my most interesting match of week four.
1: So I agree with you, first. I think it is. I think I, I think it is the most interesting matchup. I think we're gonna because partly because we don't know what LA LA is yet. Like you've said, like what's their scrum? They they got the week off, right? Can they can they get their scrum right? Can they fix their lineout? Their, their lineout was the best in the league last year, and they've really struggled. And this New England team, like that's a test. It's a long way for them to go, but I really really like that. Um, that uh, New England team, and, and I don't know, maybe Brun Wacker's the the player of the season so far. I mean, that guy has so much magic in his hands and feet. He is just playing lights out.
0: Yeah. There, there's rumours going around that he's he's turning water into Boston Lager on, on the docks there down in Boston, and, you know, he's going to sleep, and three days later, rising again. It's just crazy, crazy what's happening up in Boston. It's going mad. I'm expecting to see him like on a celebrity boat on wicked tuna next just cuz the area's so, gone nuts with
1: Buddy Walker. So this is the interesting match of the weekend so let's 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 dive dive just a little bit deeper in the, into this and and you know for me like New England com, comes in they they're playing some good stuff they they were under the cosh though right against DC DC looked really good and played some good stuff held on to the ball and in that second half New England just showed the killer instinct, right? Turnovers, they were able to take advantage. But I don't know how strong this New England defense is against DC. They seem to struggle in that point of contact. If you win the point of contact against LA and LA are on the front foot, then it's a real problem. So I think that point of contact's going to be really important. The New England defense needs to be physical with LA, not let those LA forwards, those bull runners. Like like people like Angus Cottrell and Dave Dennis, get that, go forward and get over the game line. Cause if they can do that, LA can play faster than anyone else, right? With Goddard at nine and and you know if Giddo's playing 10, they can like they'll just tear them apart. So New England have to have that edge in the scrum. They have to have that edge in the line um, and they want to have that physicality. But what New England showed is that long range scoring that LA also Show So I think what you're going to see in this game is a lot of tight stuff, a lot of play in the middle of the field, like like you know, both teams kind of feeling each other out, and then an error either defensively or offensively and the other other team going 15 metres and scoring. And it's going to be who can play and hold on to the ball, who can not make those errors for longer, and that'll be the team that wins. It's going to be an amazing matchup. It, it is. And I'm going
0: to go a little, a little deep and weird here, but... Winning a championship is probably one of the more difficult things to do in in any sport. Defending it is harder. Um, I would say, and this is just a guess, that Adam Fryer, Steve Hoyles, Adam Ashley Cooper, the whole staff sat down in the off-season and said, how do we win this championship again? What, What do we need to do to win this championship again And I think the blueprint looks vastly different to what it did last year. They came out of the gates after that camp in Maui. They blew everyone out of the park. They just exceeded expectations of how good we thought LA were going to be. I think they're going to be a little bit more strategic this year. I think they will run home stronger. Like last year, we saw them kind of beat up, and they didn't run home as, uh, you know, there were some question marks. I mean, they were still dominant, but there were some question marks, but they got it done. I think this year Steve Hoyles is going to have, like having some losses early on, but like the Houston loss, I don't think losing this game really hurts them uh, in right, terms so, of where they're going.
1: Okay. I think, I, I think New England can upset them here. All right. So I have a question for you. How good a coach is Darren Coleman? Phenomenal. All right. So not having Darren Coleman as the head coach is a but, loss. Do you know what
0: makes DC such a good coach is how much he empowers his...
1: No right. doubt, no doubt. So Steve Hoyles, I think, is an excellent coach, but he's now the head coach. It's a different job, right? And he, he has to grow into that role. Right. right? If you say Darren Coleman's would... a phenomenal job, a phenomenal coach, then you've got to admit that him not being the coach is a loss for LA.
0: Yes, and that's why I think they had to do it different this year to what they did last year.
1: I agree with that. So and I, think, I think it's going to be a really interesting season think for LA because there's a lot that. of growth
0: has Here's the other thing too, is when you have turnover at the coaching level, especially in Major League Rugby, your roster then dictates what that turnover does more than probably other professional comps in the world because the infrastructure and the structure varies from year to year already in NLR because it's in its infancy. Still, coaches can have an influence on the style of play, the kind of players coming in. Like they recruit where they've come from, if they've come from overseas. Um, but I think that roster is pretty intact at LA. I think Oils is in a great spot, but I don't think they're going to panic if they lose these early games. I think they will lose some early games. They kind of figure out their new identity and who they're going to be. But I still, think, I still think they'll be there at the, when the chips are all in the middle of the table.
2: Well, New England do you, do you
0: think then
1: – so, so do you think this is a more important game for New England? Do you think this is a yes. marker for New England? I do. Mean, you, because I, mean, I know, I know players from last year
0: there really wanted another shot at L.A. They felt like that round one game, a couple of things went against them with cards and whatnot. And they, they felt that they have L.A.'s measure. And then to go and sit and watch L.A. have the season they do and win it all, people in New England kind of sat back and said, we can, we can beat... There's a belief out in New England that they can beat LA. In LA. And I think sometimes belief is a powerful thing. Bodine Walker is the form player in the comp right now, and he's the kind of guy that will ride that confidence into this game going up against Matt Gitto. Like, you ask... Like, Bodine's had a great career himself, but you ask Bodie, like, do you ever think you would be running out in the Coliseum against Matt Gitto? Uh, he's probably... Probably say no if he's being honest, but now he's got that opportunity in a game that gets eyeballs all over the world. And if he has aspirations of going back and playing super rugby, this could be he a hit the big chance. shot, man. It's a big shot. I, I don't know. I just have this I just have this feeling that New England's got something for them this weekend. I could be wrong. You watch LA put 60 on them, but I just, I'm going go to go New England on the road here for uh, an upset win. Just
1: just. Uh, and and, and I'm gonna go I'll, I'll, just to be different and to help you continue to stretch ahead of me on Superbrew, I will go with LA. Um, I think it's gonna be a close game, but I think LA might have uh it might have a little bit too much for this young New England side who had a lot of turnover in the pack, right? So a lot of the backs are back, but there's quite a bit of turnover in the pack. Um, I, I like the idea of like stepping up. I think LA has a target on their back, and so I think New England will come in there. I think it's gonna be close. I can see New England winning this, but I'm, you know, just going to choose LA so I can uh, um, bring that up next week with all of your Australian buddies out there.
0: I actually totally forgot that LA is powered by body science as well. Uh, I'm on the hydroxy burn shred right now. Thanks to body science. I've never looked better. Take a look at these cannons folks. Look at this. Let me pull the right one out. It's the smaller of the two. Jesus. It's like smuggling Idaho potatoes in there. All thanks to body science. There you go. Pico. Gotcha. Got got done. Cash. Cash. No, just kidding. All right, Pete. We'll have fun this weekend. Where are you headed? You uh, you doing the Houston game? You going to Texas? Or yeah, so I'm in, I'm,
1: in, I'm, in, I'm in Indianapolis. So I've got two games on Saturday in, in, in Indy. I was supposed to do the Sunday game, but works like I'm traveling too much, and that would be like leave Friday, come back Monday. And, and uh, MLR was kind enough to let me not do the Sunday game. So I've got those two games on Saturday. But excited to do it. First time to Indy. You see uh, – um, Carl and the Tupelo guys. Oh, mate, Carl
0: Carl's my boy. That guy is is one of the greats. So give him a hug for me. A long, creepy, lingering hug. Thanks, Pete.
1: All right, I'll definitely do that. But like like especially creepy in COVID times, but they'll definitely do it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Just even creepier. I love it. All right, that wraps us up for another show for the Professor Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro, Brian Ginty, and our entire team at Major League Rugby. I'm Dan Powell. We'll catch you next week. Enjoy the games this weekend. And MLR just keeps growing.
1: I love it.